when you leave a corporate life or you are, in my case, suddenly without a career, a 30, almost 30 year career in a family business, right? The panic is real. I mean, my wife and I both worked for this company. And so it was night and day. We describe our lives as life before and life after that event in June of 2015. It was so profoundly different or impactful that made our lives so different afterward. And um, at the same time, even that had context, but I didn't step back far enough to create those options and that choice and that regaining of agency. Sooner you can get your agency back, the better. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Kahn. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with fourth quarter coach, Scott Kokenauer. In today's episode, you'll learn how to prepare for an epic fourth quarter of your career and finish strong. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Scott Kokenauer, a man who has been through a major life disruption to come out the other side, helping others prepare for an epic fourth quarter and finish strong. Scott, welcome to the show. David, it's my pleasure. Tell me about your career and how you ended up focusing on what you do now. Well, I joined my dad who had started a business uh, designing and building churches across America back in 1970. I joined when I was 24, back in 1989. And I spent the next 24 years as the COO in charge of things like legal, license, insurance, safety, bonding, uh, as a corporate secretary, all that sort of stuff. In 2008 occurred. And for the next five years after that, our business was really struggling and we could not figure out what was going wrong. So in 2013, the board of directors elected me to become the CEO to reinvent our 40-year-old business, which I did and spent two years, two and a half years doing that. And we were on our way, but that five years made us vulnerable to one project that had to start in June of 2015. It had to start. We had $20 million under design that we were working toward, but we needed this project in order to pay our bills until we got that to that $20 million. And instead of the project starting, the pastor had been having an affair and became out, came out in June of 2015, which delayed the project beyond what we could afford. So we closed the business and I was a 50-year-old without a career. So I spent the next two or three plus years in an intense struggle with myself. I didn't know who I was. I was wrestling with voices that said, who's going to hire you at 50, right? You're bald. And what you do have is gray. 
<laughs> and um, plus you failed. You know, you, you had to close a business that at that time was now 44 years old. And so I really wrestled with a lot of that and then ended up making all kinds of mistakes based on uh, a panic to make things work financially until I, I began to put things together and I'm a man of faith. So I did a lot of praying, a lot of soul searching and realized that as a COO and then a CEO in a very stressful position, I had also coached on the side. I fell in love with coaching back in 1989 when as the youngest of four brothers, it was my job to look into life coaching as a benefit for our employees. I ended up getting a coach and then I ended up becoming certified and I did coaching on the side since 2007. So combining all of that, all of the business management, the general business generalist work that I did and the leadership that I was kind of thrust into and the coaching, I decided it was time for me to be the partner I wish I had had in July of 2015 where I could navigate much better with a greater context. And, and that's what I end up doing now is I, I help people in their third quarter, which I define as the 40s and the 50s, when pretty much everything is built that you have built and you start to question or what I call having an awakening to the number of squares that you have filled versus the number of squares you have yet to fill. And that kind of awakening generally leads you to what is meaningful in life, what is purposeful in life. And uh, I love working with people in that realm. And I and basically I, I do what I what I struggled to figure out myself, only I try to save them all that try, that pain. Scott, when you were trying to figure out what to do after closing down your business, did you contemplate getting a coach? Uh, you know, the, the cobbler's kids' shoes have no shoes. You know, they're, they're all messed up. The plumber's pipes leak at home. I think I was just too close to myself, to my situation, to think about that. And that's a real struggle for me in working with the people that I am marketing to and, and building relationships with. And, and it's what's driven me to build relationships, not create clients, because I don't start with the solution. I start with by listening. And if I had had someone listen to me and what I was going through and then say, would you like a second set of eyes? I think I would have been more apt to say yes to that as an invitation. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about getting a coach and I was afraid I wouldn't be able to afford it for one. Yeah, that's actually an interesting nuance about listening to somebody that's struggling versus trying to pitch them. Mm -hmm. It is a nuance. It is effective. However, I've learned that there's not a sales formula. You can't take someone through a discovery call with the intent of getting them as a client by the end of the call without building relationship and building trust. And so I do a lot, a fair amount of what I do is just listening and building trust. How long does it typically take to go through that process as a coach until someone feels like they're ready to open up and then 
sign an agreement to work? It's usually two or three conversations on average. What shortens the process is when you do the right kind of job for a client and that person then says, you need to talk to so-and-so. You know, that referral-based is golden. I'm not selling t-shirts, so I can't compete on price and I can't have a great website that converts uh, sales. But if I do the right thing by each individual, that I've begun to notice that it's like a flywheel that begins to turn and uh, someone calls me up and says, hey, so-and-so said I ought to reach out to you. And so we have a, now that, that isn't a slam dunk, but it does shorten the trust cycle. And I'm, I'm just as happy to serve someone and not be their coach as I am to be their coach. And I've learned that posture. It didn't come easy because when I was making mistakes born of panic in trying to build my business, I subscribed to training methodologies where I was trained to manipulate people. For instance, get them to say yes, and then to say yes, and yes, with the intent that by about 35 minutes into a 40-minute call, you ask them to work with you. You've trained them to say yes. That's one of many techniques. And it's it may work for some. It just wasn't genuine for me. And I adopted a service mentality where every call that I set up, I go into that call assuming they're already paying me $100,000 for coaching. And I treat them accordingly. Now, when I first started that, it's noble, right? (laughs) I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do my best to co-create a solution in this call with you. And if you never say anything about coaching, that's fine with me. I had a little bit of detox to do first. I noticed in the first several weeks of doing this, my mind would go to, oh, you could use that to talk about your coaching or ooh, slip this in and maybe they'll think about asking you what's it look like to work with you. And I had to do notice and redirect, notice and redirect to get my mind off of me and onto them and their problem. David, when I got serious about that and started serving people and creating more and more relationships, more and more conversations, it's like it opened up a a platform where coaching contracts just naturally popped up. And I don't even want to tell you what the ratio is, you know, conversations to conversions, because to me that cheapens the whole idea. But I did learn that the business that I'm in as a coach is based on relationship and trust. So why wouldn't I start early on in that first conversation, building a relationship? I've turned the typical sales funnel sideways and I don't call it getting clients in my world. I call it onboarding relationships. And the great thing is people I never work with as a coach, as a paid contractual relationship, every person I meet knows people. And if I'm genuine with them, they know I'm genuine. So uh, for an introvert, process-oriented individual, I like this approach better. It does take longer, but I get better clients and 
and I enjoy the process a lot better. Well, having been on the receiving end of um, way too many people trying to sell their services in some kind of helping role, I have been witness to many people that are really good at marketing and their close rates are probably fairly high. What I see with those kinds of people is that the the results that their clients get often fall short. Mm-hmm. I typically see, I mean, I, th- I think what you said is um, is gold about having an attitude of service versus an attitude of selling. Because, you know, besides the fact that people can sniff out the difference a mile away, mm-hmm. I see that there's a correlation between those who are really good at marketing versus the results that clients get from somebody who's primarily focused on service. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's because you spent most of your time you know, listening for the purpose of serving, not listening to turn and to use for your benefit. I ask myself four questions every day. And I, and I really mean that. I, I'm always thinking about these. Number one is, what's the problem that I solve? So I'm all about what is it that I help make better or help to remove so my clients can achieve what they want to achieve. The second is, what are the outcomes that are produced from working with me? Those two questions touch at the emotions of people who, for instance, are scrolling through their LinkedIn feed, wishing they had answers to their problem. And that's why if you look at a lot of the posts that I put on LinkedIn, I try never to use the word I, at least in the first two sentences, if at all. I'm always using you. My default is to be where they are at that moment. And I try to connect with the matter that they're dealing with. What's the matter? What's the problem? What's the barrier or whatever it is? And then work through, because, you know, as, as coaches, people don't hire us for, for coaching. They never do that. Who does that? I mean, I go to Home Depot not to get a half inch drill bit. I go to Home Depot because I want a half inch hole in a wall and I can't do it with my thumb. So I go to Home Depot to get the half inch drill bit to get that hole that I want. So if someone hires me for coaching, if I'm not careful, I can say, yay, they hired me because I'm a coach. No, they hired me because they've got this problem. It's uncanny how focused we are on what we individually are trying to do. And as a coach, I have to get into their world and be that half inch drill bit for them so that they can get the hole in the wall that they want. And that takes listening. I can't waste time leading a conversation for my benefit. Not at all. What it means is you're using active listening to be of service through a state of empathy. Yep. And I'm looking to be a resource to them. The more people I learn and get to know, I've been doing this for about very intensely for about six months now and averaging about eight to 10 conversations a week, which in itself is a, is a feat, but I've come to know some amazing people. And so when someone else has a challenge that they're re- working with, I'll say, you know, you ought to meet so-and-so 
So I'll put those two together. And is that business for me as a coach? No, but it's, it's become a part of who I am. And I, I call that vocational alignment when you can be doing something that is so closely tied to who you are that you, it's not like a suit that you have to put on every morning. You just are. And I'll tell you this, David, too, every conversation is an opportunity for me to redeem the loss that I experienced when I was 50 years old, because I'm, I'm using my experience to speak into another person's life. So I think that's, that's very gratifying for me as well. Yeah. Can we actually use that as a segue to go back to something we were talking about earlier, where you made reference to making all kinds of mistakes. Yeah. Right after you closed down your business. Could you share one or two of those? I I can share two among many. The the challenge is which one do I pick for a podcast? The first one was that as a process oriented person, I had to have a really nice website. So I didn't hire someone else to do that. I did that myself. I spent a lot of time working on a website, bells and whistles. I'd be staring at the screen for a long time, which I love to do. I mean, I, I love being behind a computer for three hours. That's just who I am. But it didn't produce clients. It produced a website. And you, yeah, I fooled myself into thinking, okay, if I build it, then people will come, right? Not the case. I don't know of one client that I have right now who came to me because, man, you, your website is fantastic. I just had to hire you as a coach. <laughs> the other thing was just investing my time and my money in programs that promised something that I knew I wanted, but I wasn't ready for it yet. And I acted out of panic. I gave a credit card number to an outfit that's, that promised if I go through their program for six months, I'm going to be making $20,000 a month. And I didn't listen to reason. I didn't listen to wisdom. So that period of my life, I call arrhythmia. You know, I was <laughs> fits and starts. And, you know, I'd go through two months of a six-month program that I paid for dearly and dropped out because it just wasn't genuine. It wasn't me. And, you know, coaching program's over. The payments are still there. So uh, <laughs> those were... Interesting days. So on the flip side of that, for someone who is going through the kind of transition that we've been talking about, somebody who is 50-ish and looking ahead at how to make the last quarter of their life a really strong one, how do you find someone or some resource that is going to be a, a good resource for you. That's going to be a good fit. What kinds of questions do you need to ask yourself or ask of, of the resources? Well, first of all, I think before you even do anything outwardly, you need to download what's in your mind, get everything out from be, between your ears and lay it out because there's a concept that began to form and it was, I call it the field and the booth. So if I'm on the field and the defense is 
kicking our butt and we can't play our run our plays, ultimately we're going to lose the game. But if you look at a quarterback after a round of downs and now they're on defense and the you know, quarterback is sitting on the sidelines, what is he doing? He's got headphones on. He's looking at one of those tablets. He's communicating to someone in the booth and they're looking at the films. That's iteration. That's getting a broader perspective. Everything we face has context. And if you step back far enough, you will begin to see options. Options then present choice. And that gives you agency. I had no agency. And therefore, I made dumb mistakes. So if if I could give anyone advice, it would be get everything that you're thinking out on paper. Because when you do that, you create distance from the dissonance that you're sensing, distance from the panic. And that, that's why we say get it down on paper. We want to look down on top of it. It's one thing to be on top of the world. It's a whole different thing to be under it, you know, feeling under the weather. That's a lack of agency. On top of the world is someone with agency. So I would say the first thing is download everything, good, bad, indifferent, and get it out because there's something therapeutic, first of all, about getting something out so that you can see it. Because a lot of times, you know, had I done that, I would have recognized that I didn't need to pull the trigger so quickly on something so expensive that wasn't for me. I would have been able to be more strategic about that. Now, would it have been easy? No. You know, the panic is real. I mean, when you leave a corporate life or you are, in my case, suddenly without a career, a 30, almost 30 year career in a family business, right? The panic is real. It is, I mean, my wife and I both worked for this company. And so it was night and day. We, we describe our lives as life before and life after that event in June of 2015. It was so profoundly different or impactful that made our lives so different afterward. And um, at the same time, even that had context, but I didn't step back far enough to create those options and that choice and that regaining of agency. Sooner you can get your agency back, the better. Agency is so important. That's why so many people leave corporate to become entrepreneurs because they want agency. Absolutely. Yeah. It's no one likes the feeling of being controlled by circumstances or other people's decisions. No one likes that. That's why people leave managers. They love what they do, right? They may be very good at what they do, but, you know, they're being this sense of being controlled by someone or someone's attitude or the culture. Yeah. It's toxic. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so th thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, shedding some light for folks that may be struggling with um, lack of career direction or some other circumstance that has caused them to be in this sense of panic. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Scott, if someone wants to go deeper with anything we've talked about, access any resources you may have or get in touch with you, 
where's the best place for them to go? You can go to servingstrong.com, the website I built. <laughs> it's still there. Uh, it's still there. I've seen it. It's, it's a good website. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, you can email me, coach at servingstrong.com. Just think Serving Strong. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest has been fourth quarter coach, Scott Kokenauer. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. Thank you very much, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Scott Kokenauer, we learned how to prepare for an epic fourth quarter of your career and finish strong. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.